so my walls kind of became this space where I could use the objects within my room as like a found object and make a, a composition that had content loaded within it and talk about fulfillment and what we admire and what we what we dislike. And I think in my artist statement, I wrote about the extraordinary and the banal moments of life and just capturing everything. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 210th episode, Jen Galgren joins me to talk a bit about painting and her current work, which she's exploring up in McHenry, Illinois. We talk about observation as well as portraits and figures in some of her other works that incorporate a white space or white field. They're kind of abstract. And again, we'll break all of that down. Let me note real quick that Jen was one of our 2018 student competition winners selected by Brian Frank. Again, we host that competition every year to invite new student work and kind of get a different flavor. So again, thanks Jen for applying and thanks Brian for selecting her work. And once again, that competition usually runs every spring for graduating students. So if you're interested and you're a student, mark your calendars. Another interesting note is that Jen was mentored and taught by Sarah Pedigo, who's been on the podcast. And oddly enough, she was mentored and taught by Shona McDonald, who is also recently on the podcast way back in December. You can check out that episode number 203. And once again, what makes that kind of interesting is that Shona was actually one of my BFA committee members, and I had her for a number of classes and loved working with her. So there's kind of like this interesting you know, lineage of you know, teacher to student to teacher. Um, again, so it's very cool to have Jen on and very excited to break down her work in this episode. So please stay tuned and check it out. And like I said, there's plenty of other podcasts that you might have missed out on. Again, recent interviews with uh, Gabriel Rojas, who is another BFA student, David Gracie, who is an artist out in Nebraska, and of course, Erica Hess from I Like Your Work podcast, David Stanger. So be sure and visit studiobreak.com and listen to some of the recent episodes that are available. Again, each of those posts have images of the artwork there as well as links so you can find out more information about the artist so be sure and check all that good stuff out pretty massive archive for listening so if you need some kind of studio companion to get you through your studio sessions be sure and visit them all you can of course use that default player and just listen right on studio break you can hit that itunes link and subscribe to the podcast there so be sure and listen of course, you can find us on social media, so be sure and like our Facebook page. You can find us and follow us on Twitter at Studio Break. And of course, on Instagram, be sure to say hello at Studio underscore Break. And with those announcements out of the way, here's my interview with Jen Galgren. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break, Jen Galgren. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you? Excellent, excellent. And I know that we've been talking for a little bit of time, but just remind us, uh, where where are you located? Right now I'm in McHenry, Illinois, and I grew up in Crystal Lake, Illinois, so just moved a couple miles north. Right, right. Have you been interested in you know art since before you can remember kind of thing? Or I used to think that art was 
like a craft kind of fun thing to do when I was growing up. I would just like to draw and color and things like that. But it wasn't until recently when I decided that I wanted to pursue it in a full force kind of way. Were there any things that you were particularly interested in drawing? Again, I'm just always curious about that kind of stuff. I guess as a kid, I was I was just interested in drawing like fr- portraits of friends and things like that. But um, I never really thought about it. I just knew that I could draw. And people would say, draw my face or mm-hmm. draw my dog. And I would just, you know, go for it. Um, it wasn't until I like was in my AP classes in high school for 2D and um, I think it was just a 2D and drawing course I was taking in AP when I had to develop a body of work. I was drawing portraits in marker that were super saturated in color of friends and family and then just a breath of random watercolor paintings, charcoal drawings Mm -hmm. um, that had nothing to do with what I'm making now, but I would see things on, on the internet, I guess, as a kid and be like, Oh, this artist painted a pine tree in watercolor. I'm going to do that too. An AP class though. (laughs) So did you have a lot of like facilities then in terms of like, you know, where you studied again, it's, um, very random what it seems like people have you know from like oh we had a foundry or (laughs) you know we have this mega 3d printing lab you know i've never been not taking an art class in school just because it was one of the requirements in all the schools i've attended Mm -hmm. but my high school program had a a dark studio for photography and that was pretty much like the most developed part of the program besides just, I mean, there, there weren't easels. There weren't, I don't even know if there was a kiln. I can't really remember. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we would just go sit at tables and draw or color or anything like that. It wasn't, it wasn't anything intense. It was more of looked upon by other students as a way to get out of the hustle and bustle of like high school. And then um, University of Kentucky had a pretty substantial like program and as far as like size of the facilities um they've changed it now since i left there but that was the first time where i was like oh you can you can do foundry and things like that i've never even heard of it before i went there and then at flagler it's such a small school flagler college in st augustine florida they're kind of not trapped but bound to the historical landscape of the small campus that they squeeze in as much as they can in these old buildings. There's printing rooms, painting, drawing, um, but no foundry or, or glasswork or anything like that. There's a ceramics room that's a little like hut, <laughs> like call it. For instance, I toured Western Illinois University this summer just to go there and go to an art show. And their facilities were so big. And I was like, why aren't more students here? This is insane. There's so much room and it just kept going. And um, it's interesting to see how programs, you know, play their curriculum to their facilities like that, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You know, you're taking these AP courses in high school. Is that something then where you're consciously like, I'm going to go and do an undergrad? I mean, was it something where you wanted to be like a designer or a painter or did you kind of go in with another approach in terms of, you know, what you're looking to do? I took them because I ran out of art classes to take in high school. 
Um, I just liked them. And I always, it was like, sounds so kind of crazy to say, but it was just like a guaranteed A for me because I loved being in that classroom so much. I took them just because I wanted the challenge of making a body of work, I guess, but I had no intention of pursuing art at that time. I kind of wanted to be an engineer of some, some degree. I don't really know what I was thinking. Now that I look at it, I'm like, well, that seems like a, not a correct choice, but, <laughs> but yeah, I just, I really like a challenge and I still do this that day. So I'm trying to put myself in that mindset of how I was, you know, deciding to take those courses mm-hmm. and it just seems like it would probably be in my best interest to challenge myself in that way. So, so did you then like kind of pursue, you know, college as like, I'm going to be an engineer then? Um, I went into university of Kentucky undeclared. They require the baseline of courses basically for your gen, gen eds. Mm-hmm. And I figured I would just decide later, but I did take a, a 3d form class there um, mixed with like anthropology and math and all that good stuff. So I guess I didn't know for sure. Um, and then when I went to Flagler, I declared as an art education major, which was, I had only spent one semester at, at UK. Mm-hmm. I saw that they had art education at Flagler. So I just said, okay, we'll do that. But it wasn't until I finished my gen eds at Flagler when I decided that fine art, which was their major for the BFA was a, just a better option for me. And I think that developed after failing a bunch of standardized tests that were required by the state. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I guess I'm like inspired by failure a lot just to (laughs) make the best, the best of what is going on. So, well, and again, I think it's, it's one way to look at it, but then it's also like, you know, all of these things lead you to where you're at now, you know, like I, I did so poorly when I started college that, and again, no offense to anybody studying art education. I'm sure there's wonderful people out there teaching in high schools and we totally need that and grade school for art. <laughs> but I was like, man, I almost failed out. Like maybe this art thing isn't for me. I got to do art ed. And then I took a painting class and I was like, whoa, you know, was there any particular class that kind of drew you in? Cause again, you talked a bit about, you know, drawing people. I'm assuming there had to be some sort of uh figurative drawing class or something like that where you kind of got super amped. Yeah. One of the first art classes at Flagler that I had taken was a introduction to drawing. I think it was under the guidance of Patrick Moser, who's a really great painter and video artist. And I remember being in his class one day and we were talking about different ways to approach drawing, whether it be through gesture drawing or contour drawing, whether like whether it be blind contour drawing or semi-blind, where you can only look at the the still life or figure in front of you for five seconds at a time, and then you can't look at it for 15 seconds, and you just kind of have to uh, hone in your focus on, you know, what's in front of you. And I remember leaving that class, and I called my mom, and I was like, the most crazy thing just happened, like... I felt like not not an outer body experience, but I was like, I've never felt so relaxed or focused on something before, like that moment where I was, it just felt so right. And then I, you know, I continued with my art education courses and after some time went by and those, you know, I failed those tests and everything, <laughs> my mom was like, 
I'm very supportive parents. So my mom was like, you know, it's going to be the best thing for you to switch your major anyway, because they've always pushed me to go for something related to art. So it worked out in my best interest, I think. But that class was definitely the first moment, followed by a lot of other really critical moments and other courses, too, that made a big impact on what I'm making today and what I'm thinking about right now. Sure, sure. You know, what happened after that? Again, it sounds like a nice, you know, sea change in terms of direction. You know, you're like, I totally want to do this now. And I'd imagine, you know, as a undergrad, you're taking all, all sorts of art courses after you get your gen eds out of the way then. After I had become or proclaimed my um, fine art major, I guess, I, you know, stopped taking all my education courses. I was enrolled in Spanish, which I also stopped taking because I declared it the beginning of my senior year, or maybe it was during my advising meetings, my junior year, I, I guess. So I didn't have much time to, if I wanted to graduate within four years, make the switches and get all my courses in that I needed to, to take to graduate. Mm-hmm. So from then on, I was taking between four and five studio classes a semester, which was a painstaking amount of work but I loved it and I was doing really well in all my classes and I, I found myself like, okay with staying up all night and I didn't get that passion from art education and teaching people about, there was a bunch of different education courses that are impacted in, in K through 12 curriculum. So from then on during my five studio courses a semester in order to finish out, I was just making an incredible amount of work which I look back and think like, how did I do that? But in the, and then I realized, oh, I did it by staying up all night and <laughs> not sleeping. <laughs> I mean, I was taking all the required courses that I needed and it was photography, you know, printmaking, all, all everything. So. so what was the experience then in terms of like wrapping that up there? Um, again, to kind of look at your, your work now, or at least what's mostly representative of that experience. Again, a lot of observational work, portraits and, you know, still lives and even some landscapes and other things like that. Um, but what did you kind of, you know, leave that experience with in terms of what you were making? I'll talk about the two like capstone classes. So one is BA where you're required to make a portfolio for a show. Mm-hmm. It's the same requirements for the BFA. I guess you could say the BA course is a little more guided. All of the faculty at Flagler switch out who teaches it. So you always, there's, there. I think pouring all their passion into their BA or BFA classes, um, you know, while it's their time to shine. And for my BA class, I knew I wanted to paint, but I'm still in a spot where like I was good at painting and I just didn't know what to paint. I liked painting pictures around my bedroom and bathroom and kitchen in my house in Lincolnville in St. Augustine. Like I wasn't as confident as, um, how I am now about like why I'm I was painting for my BA show I had 49 scale paintings that took up a really big space and I was kind of really interested in Rothko and like color fields and stuff like that so I wanted to make like a a big thing that was colorful and that kind of provoked some type of emotion so I was really playing around with objects of domesticity, which I guess I still am, mm-hmm. and um, objects of like 
necessity, but fear or something. So I chose a like a scale to, in order to weigh yourself and made this really big, like grid-like display of these 12 by 12 scale paintings in all different colors. And I guess I got uh, feedback saying that some people thought it was like, felt like a nightmare. And some people were like, no, it's too happy. Let's look at all the colors. And I look at that work now and I think, why did I make that? But <laughs> I got critical feedback that <laughs> that I needed at that point in order to ask myself, why am I painting in the first place? Why not take photos of the scale or something? You know, I don't know. So while I was making that work, it felt really important to me. But of course, you move on and then you find new ideas and stuff. And that becomes a step in the path. But it's like nothing more than that. And then my BFA work, which were the paintings that are um, figures surrounded with an ambiguous space, um, like white white grounds, I guess I'll call it. Mm-hmm. Hints of objects or like traces of domesticity became something that I was like really interested in. And that developed from, I guess, learning about the word ennui, which is a French term for like a longing for something or a sense of unfulfillment, mm-hmm. which I guess <laughs> stems from all the recent changes that had just happened in my life and different relationships with people and, you know, friends coming in and out or, but still feeling like I was not changing and I was in the same place while everything was changing around me. Mm -hmm. I continued that work and that's what I showed for my BFA portfolio. And I'm really, I really like that work a lot. Um, And I've since then been doing representational paintings from life in my room. I think the paintings look drastically different, but I've sneakily found a way to tie in the concepts and the ideas behind them um, in order to make them work together. Yeah, I definitely want to take time to kind of really, you know, talk about, you know, some of the differences between, you know, some of these bodies of work. It's really kind of interesting to kind of consider the, you know, the compositions and the way that they're, they're set up with the figures, you know, as you kind of alluded to, but to maybe kind of talk specifically about one and to maybe, you know, address some of the painting processes before we kind of move on to maybe some of the, the paintings that you've been doing, I'm assuming that, that have been around, um, you know, your bedroom, it sounds like, <laughs> but there's this painting, uh, yours to make, but maybe we could talk a little bit about, you know, the process of that one. Is that started through sketches or is that all kind of work directly like on the painting? So I was working in a souvenir shop in St. Augustine during all of my undergrad, and I sketch out paintings for my classes there in order to make the time feel useful. Um, so all of those paintings did derive from sketches, and I didn't know like who was going to be in the paintings or what the figures would look like. They were just like stick figures within a space. And then I'd usually throw in one or two objects that I could relate to and I knew other people can relate to and give the ambiguous space sort of like some type of ground relation or something like that. So I would just use some highlighters at the front desk of the souvenir shop that I would work at and do these quick pen sketches and then go home and think about, okay, I need to call this friend, see if she can help me out with with some reference photos and a lot of them fell into place where I was 
looking at objects that I'd walk to school and see, and there was, for some reason, an, an odd abundance of mattresses always outside. And I don't know if it was a Florida thing, but I just don't <laughs> see them in McHenry. Which sure. Every time I'd walk past a mattress, I just think like the the idea of throwing out a mattress just seems to me like it's so weighted in, I mean, it's like, it kind of like becomes a part of you in the same way that your room does. Or if it's not a part of you, it's a part of like a relationship. And just to see it on like the ground like that, undressed and, you know, stuff like that, I was really inspired by that. So that specific object, I knew that I wanted figures to be surrounding it. And I remember when I was first thinking about the painting, I wanted it to act like a table and put like silverware in place settings like with plates and stuff like that on it. But later through critique, we just decided to leave it more ambiguous and let people fill in what they want to within space. Mm -hmm. So those paintings were made through uh, like reconstructed photos that I would take of friends in like their yards or bathrooms or my kitchen. And I would take them from multiple angles and you know, get en- get enough to a point where I could construct an image. And they don't really look anything like the photos that I took, but they're definitely, that was a crucial step in developing the paintings. And then throughout the course of making all of those works, I tried to include a main figure and then hints of a secondary figure. I wanted people to look at that work and think of why there are two figures. Is it like a self-reflection? Is it a idea of self-judgment, which I personally like think of when I look at the works now after making them? Again, I'm really interested in the color, especially too, because again, it seems, you know, super playful. And like in that one in particular, uh, yours to make, there's kind of like this, you know, mint green kind of like fence posts and you know, it's kind of surrounded by this, you know, violet that looks like it's almost been sanded off. And so it kind of seems very atmospheric. But then, like you were saying, you know, there's these specific objects, these, you know, kind of double portraits that kind of, I don't know, give this this that idea of kind of trying to find your place or that mystery. I mean, I think the way that you kind of, um, you know, phrased it earlier, I think all of those things kind of like combine to kind of give that that sense of mystery to kind of you know, provoke the viewer into looking at it and kind of like, you know, almost making up a narrative or kind of wondering what it's about. So when I decided on how I wanted to play with color, I was pretty much thinking back to what I was making in my BA work and how some people viewed that work as like nightmarish or intimidating and other people found it to be relaxing. And I thought there was a lot of, I mean, it was a lot of different opinions that people had. So I just realized, okay, well, I'm not going to make something that's all dark because I don't want it to appear like it's some overburden, like over, I'm going to make up my own word, overburdening, (laughs) like sadness or dullness or something like that. I wanted it to be how I feel like people represent themselves and, and see others as like colorful, super saturated um, environment that we're in kind of overly saturated, I would think, and then how that affects us. So I would use spray paints in like neon 
highlighter yellow and spray paints and duller colors and things like that in order to set the backgrounds for those paintings and then add some texture with gesso pretty much and then I would go back and draw out a sketch based on the reference photos that I would take and I would dress the figures in pretty patterned like textured clothing kind of as a disguise for the the mood that's portrayed on their faces um when you look at the works there's like a real sense in like uh voyeurism and you kind of feel like you shouldn't be looking at whatever is going on and that you're just catching a moment of where the figure is looking at you like as if they're like all right stop looking at me or go away or something like that Mm -hmm. I think it also stemmed from this souvenir shop that I was working at too, where I was, I was so overwhelmed and by these oversaturated colors that people would come in and buy their St. Augustine souvenirs and neon sweatshirts and everything like that. And you can just meet so many different people and you can tell that it's just this type of consumerism where they like feel a need to purchase just stuff um, in order to feel like they're, they're, trip has been fulfilled and I think that's kind of like a a thing in life that a lot of people do too so that's I guess that's where that all comes from well and so to think about this in terms of the timeline and again those are some interesting paintings I'm imagining those are going to be um, things that might be explored as you you know start a a graduate program but then in in terms of you know uh, moving on from there and then moving back up to you know McHenry Illinois it sounds like you've been predominantly like working then, you know, from your the confines of what you can find around you. Is that is that accurate or? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. I use my bedroom, which is like I'm pretty bad with square feet, so I won't even try. But I mean, I have a window, a queen size bed that takes up most of my room, and then um, a bookshelf and some other art stuff scattered here and there. And I try and keep it all organized, but. I have a very hard time with that. When I got here, I started making paintings every day in order to discover like what I wanted to make for my graduate program applications. And I think that's a pretty bad mindset to put myself, or now I look back into it, and I think that's a bad mindset to put myself in to just make paintings for that, for that goal to get into grad school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sarah Pedigo actually visited me up here um, in McHenry and we took a trip to Western Illinois University. And through that process, she was looking at some of the paintings I was making and trying to find connections because it's always easier when someone's evaluating your work than rather trying to do it all yourself and overthinking through that process. So when she came here, she was like, you know, this reminds me a lot of Xavier de Maestro's work, Journey Around My Room, um, which is a novel that he wrote, I think in 1790, about how he had experienced traveling the world and living this affluent life. And he decided that he wasn't fulfilled and he had a sense of ennui. And he went on this journey to embark on a 42-day trip around his room. So he basically locked himself in there. Of course, he had a butler (laughs) that would cater to him. But there's a lot of good things in there. And when I was reading it and rereading this book, um, I just kept finding um, the way he describes his furniture, um, his window, how his like past experiences upon meeting people 
um, have like influenced his life and this journey in his room and how it's kind of, I guess the theme of the novel is that you just don't need a lot to be fulfilled in life. And you can find, you can find everything you need. And it's usually right in front of you if you're not ignoring it. So I use that book as a catalyst to make more work after she visited. And um, I paid more attention to the compositions I was creating. I used my walls, which are concrete. It's an old house. Mm-hmm. I used my walls to tape tape things to and make some type of uh, sculptural composition that I would just look at from life and um, observe while I was painting it. And I actually have some hanging in my room right now, so I'm like taking a look at them while I'm talking. Mm-hmm. So my walls kind of became this space where I could use the objects within my room as like a found object and make a, a composition that had content loaded within it and talk about fulfillment and what we admire and what we what we dislike. And I think in my artist statement, I wrote about the extraordinary and the banal moments of life and just capturing everything. It's interesting to think about that idea of trying to kind of work with what's in front of you and then to think about in some ways how these uh, objects or things that we kind of have um, can even speak to parts of our personality. Again, you're kind of describing, you know, taping things to, to walls. And again, there's a number of paintings that are kind of like little branches and limbs of like, you know, flora. There's one painting that kind of sticks out to me that's kind of interesting and that it's almost like a still life that's set up on a windowsill, but then your reflection is like painted in what I'm assuming is the window. So it's interesting because it kind of starts to kind of talk a little bit about where the, where these things are at in, in terms of your relationship to them too. You might be drawing on the bed and you kind of see this set up and it's like, oh, that could be something or how how is that? How is that processed? I was I work on a lot of paintings at a time. Like I at one point it was working on ten of these at a time. So in the background of that painting you can actually see behind my reflection a hint of the other um wall. And on that wall is a different structural composition that I made, um, which is like the picnic patterned I don't know I know that's not the name for it but the plaid you know red and white squared fabric behind me and that's for a different painting so I started this specific work which I titled the eulogy of the journey as a still life in front of my window and I left it at that um, before I had thought put more thought into it the window was just a dark window with a couple of hints of light just from my overhead light in my room but it wasn't until later when I decided to add my reflection in, into it and then also get the reflection of the work behind me. I think that painting is special specifically just because it captures myself in the room, like in the space within this like foreground, middle ground and background type of type of way. I didn't think of anything of it. And then when I was looking back in it, it just seemed like a nice still life, but I wanted it to go with what I was reading about and the ideas I was exploring more so. So I decided to paint myself in there. But I think to me, the most important part is what's behind me and how it connects the room and just existing in this space that I've kind of created for myself, but I'm also like, you know, bound to for this moment. So yeah, and it's interesting to think about the way that, you know, you've kind of almost turned your room into like a studio, you know, mm-hmm. and I could imagine all these setups kind of everywhere, but I like how they start to kind of sneak in and then, I don't know, almost 
get combined in you know different ways. So, for example, you have a number of you know self portraits, but then there's another portrait in particular that is really dark, mm-hmm. um, and it looks like it's you know essentially you know framed into the the corner of the composition, you know the the framed mirror. But then you can kind of see these bits of tape, and again, it's just interesting in terms of the way that it kind of shifts maybe some of the more straightforward ones where it's literally just a portrait, you know, you're floating in space, you know, you kind of hint, you kind of suggest that, you know, this is your reflection in this place. And I don't know. I mean, is, is that something that again, like just something that you kind of see and you're like, Oh, that could be an interesting thing. And then I'm just going to explore this and see where it goes. Yeah. I think once I decided to paint my portrait within that other painting that you were just talking about with the window. So, mm-hmm. I decided that I needed to take my compositions further back and include more of my actual room and what was happening and how I was looking at these objects and how they appear like in in space in this room. So the dark mirror one, I decided to paint that after I made a dark self-portrait in charcoal with really dim overhead lighting. In order to challenge myself, because I've just been terrible at mixing darks, and I can't tell if it's a thing that I'm pretty bad at or if other people struggle with it too, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I know it's something that I needed to work on. So I, and I don't think that that painting is 100% resolved yet, but um, I decided I wanted to do a dark portrait, and I had my mirror taped up um, against my wall in order for it not to fall over on my or slide down my glass on my desk. But that's actually in a different painting called a book of discoveries, um, a vignette, which you can see on my website, but the mirror has like been traveling with me. Um, and I try and bring it to different, if I'm dog sitting or something, I'll bring it to other places where I can just do self portraits. Cause to me, they're the hardest thing you can paint Mm -hmm. and just, I want to get better at them. So I was looking at Neil Callender's work, actually, and I just admired his fluorescent lighting in some of his paintings. And I have this crazy fluorescent light in my closet that, again, it's an old house. So I, my, my grandparents lived here before we did. And a lot of the interesting things about the house are my, my grandpa's like handiwork <laughs> jobs He's thinking he can improve the house by putting PVC pipe anywhere and (laughs) fun, quirky stuff like that. So I wanted to include my fluorescent light as a challenge, like based off of Neil Callender's work. And through that, I, you know, I, I tried to set up a composition that when I was first doing the initial layout, I thought I was pushing it further back in order to get more of the space included within the canvas. But now I look at it and I still think I'm too close. Um, But I wanted a hint of the mirror showing that it's taped to the wall and the very like corners and edges of the painting and um, to kind of create this space that is hard to picture existing within a room. But yeah, it was just like a really intense challenge for me and it still is because I'm still working on that but that was kind of my motive for that painting yeah and it's interesting to think about like you're talking about fluorescent lighting and then there's another painting that you know strikes me is the one with the kind of green lamp Mm -hmm. I don't know there's some 
strange details that you can kind of see in an object or recognize, you know, in painting where you're just that you're just like, oh, I know this, you know, which is kind of a weird universality. But again, I'm really drawn to that painting just because of something that kind of feels like familiar like that. But one of the things that I was struck by, too, um, you know, relative to your process, you know, looking over Instagram, you know, you have this really tight, you know, measured looking drawing. And again, I don't know if that's a preliminary work or kind of like an underworking of this. Mm-hmm. Is is that the case? Or is that something, is that something where you're drawing it out and then working over the top of it? Or is that just a sketch that led to this? Yeah, I guess I should have mentioned earlier. So um, how these paintings uh, work as far as their development, I have been using some intense measuring techniques that um, I studied in my undergrad that <laughs> include watching um, documentary of Antonio Lopez Garcia's uh, way of working. Um, he made his own tools of discovering observational perception. And together, Sarah Pedigo and I made these wood tools that are, it's as if you were holding up a compass in front of your hand at an arm's distance, except when you're holding your arm out in front of you, your your shoulder's always at a different position. So in order to get the most precise measurement, you need something that is always the same length as far away from your from your eye. So we would hold a wooden stick with a little square, like a two by two square piece of wood in it to rest our wrist with our compass on it. We would place the the end of the wood on our cheek just like Antonio Lopez Garcia did and while he's making his paintings and then through the use of like plumb lines and um and taping certain lines down we would be able to make a really precise drawing and the learning the this formula was pretty hard to understand at first and it's not really something that he specifically talks about but it shows him doing it a lot so Sarah and I had to kind of uncover what was actually happening by rewinding the footage a bunch of times and and having these moments of discovery where we're like oh my god how are we not how did we not figure that out before (laughs) and then once we did we suddenly had these tools that made drawing these intense observational studies not easier but just more exact and and it felt like just another tool that i had like, you know, to my discretion, if I wanted to abandon it at any time, I could. But also, I felt like it's just comfortable to me, comfortable for me to use now. So I use it all the time. And I make these preliminary drawings before I lay paint down on the canvas. And then usually, it's just with pencil and white gesso on either panel or canvas. And then from there, I like to fill in what initial colors I I see. So I'll mix maybe like 20 colors um, based on the objects from life that I'm looking at. Mm -hmm. Seeing just color matching techniques and stuff, holding your your palette knife uh, behind a color checker, just holding it at a 45 degree angle in front of your eyeball to get the most precise color because the light's always changing. Um, and I'll fill in what colors I see and then wash the whole canvas or panel out. And that makes a good stain. It's 
for me to base off my next painting session on. And it usually takes between two or three sessions to really fill things in and it starts coming to life. But it's this one specifically, you can see there's like hints of washed out things on the right side of the panel still. Mm -hmm. Um, So it kind of hints at the process that I've been um, working with and how these paintings are made. Well, and this might be just a question for painters, but do you have a a specific like setup in terms of like your color palette? Is it kind of like everything under the sun or is it limited or it's I feel like just standard it's what I was working with in my undergrad and I haven't been able to explore new paints or anything I've just been using the Windsor and Newton artist or oil color trying to think I have between 10 and 12 colors just ranging from titanium white yellow ochre to ivory black which I rarely use Mm -hmm. just standard colors and I now that I've finished my school applications, I've decided I'm, I need to go get some different <laughs> different reds, different blues, and see what they do. Because I, like, I love painting, and I still am at fault to this time crunch I feel like I've constantly been on, where I haven't been able to, like, explore what this medium can, like, really do. So I, I kind of look forward to figuring out a palette that I can confidently say like this is my palette but as a writer it's just whatever my art teachers told me to use <laughs> <laughs> well and so to think about it too where you're at you know you can you've talked a number of times that you're you're done with all of these uh applications and things like that so are you kind of in this mode where you're gonna try to like see how far you can push this idea of you know kind of finding these little moments essentially like around you know where you're at or are you kind of like I'm going to dive into this direction or, you know, what are you kind of currently working on? Again, it's the start of the new year, right? So there's got to be big plans. (laughs) I look at these different paintings as like one body of work, but also split into two, two modes of working, I guess. I mean, when I'm using ambiguous white space, aerosol, I mean, it's like a really loose abstract way of like presenting um, like real to the viewer. And then the other is like, I keep saying fictional and non-fictional approach, but the other representational works are like my non-fiction <laughs> approach to um, expressing the same ideas. And I, I kind of have always been, since I made the, the works in my BFA portfolio of the figures and the ambiguous grounds, I've been wanting to intertwine that mode of painting within just painting from life and from observation and my way of doing that. Um, so I'll probably be experimenting on, on ways to make my representational paintings a little more abstract in a sense of like what objects are there and really, and not there and try and push and back some certain things and pull um, others more in front and, you know, play around with space in that way. And then if I were to look at my ambiguous grounds painting, I would say I want to make those seem more like painted from, from life and have some type of resemblance of like an actual space. So I, I think I'm going to try and combine the two, but I, I also can't stop painting from life. So I just, I, that's something that I've always enjoyed. So 
Sure. Well, I mean, again, it's a great place to be. I mean, there's so many different directions and ways yeah. that you can kind of go. So, so where can people kind of find your work and, and, you know, be sure to kind of follow along with what you're doing? Um, so you can find my work on my website, which is, um, jengolgren.com. I keep it pretty up to date and there's some available works on there. Um, and then I use my Instagram, which is at jengolgren. And that's J-E-N-N-G-U-L-G-R-E-N. As more of like a blog post, um, I'll post a lot of work in progress shots and, you know, captions that usually are talking about my (laughs) difficulties with certain paintings or something like that. So you get to, it's more of an insider view on, on the works I'm making. Awesome. Again, you're in in the perfect spot. It'll be exciting to kind of see how the work changes, you know, depending on where you wind up moving. So it's very exciting. Mm-hmm. Again, thank you so much for, you know, applying to the Studio Break uh, competition. I know, again, it seems like crazy to think it was last <laughs> last summer, but, you know, these things are meant to happen uh, when they do. But uh, it's great to have you on and to talk about your work. And again, just uh, keep at it. Thank you. I will. And thank you for having me on here. It was really nice to talk to you. And I I love listening to artist podcasts. So to be a part of one is really interesting and, and a nice experience too. Thanks once again to Jen for joining me. Be sure and check out her work at jengulgren.com. And of course, follow her on Instagram. See what she's up to in the studio at jengulgren. Once again, I would note that Jen was selected by Brian Frink as one of our 2018 BFA competition winners. Again, we run that competition every spring around May, so if you're a student, be sure and mark your calendar so that you can apply this coming year. I will be doing an open call this winter, so I'll I'll be sure and let people know about that. And of course, we have our pro competition in the fall. If this is your first time listening to Studio Break, again, we have an archive of episodes on studiobreak.com. Again, we highlighted some of those recently with uh, Erica Hess, David Stanger, David Gracie, and now Jen Galgren, amongst others, so be sure and visit. Remember that each of our posts have images of the artwork as well as links directly to the artist's websites. You can, of course, listen right there with the default player or click that iTunes hyperlink and subscribe to the podcast. Of course, if you do that, please help us out by leaving us some comments and feedback on iTunes. is very helpful. Of course, you can also help spread the word via social media. So that would be a big help. We'd really appreciate it. Plus, you earn all sorts of karmic art points, so be sure and do that. You can, of course, find us on social media, so be sure and like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break, and, of course, on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. I'd like to thank Skylar Mail, who provides the music to Studio Break. You can check out his artwork at SkylarMail.net. If you'd like to see some of my paintings, visit DavidLinaway.com. Again, there's plenty of work up there. You can also find me on Facebook, so be sure to say hello there. You can, of course, find me on Twitter at David Linaway and on Instagram at David Linaway. Always great hearing from listeners and other artists, so don't be shy. It's interesting, this podcasting world, so I do hope that you enjoyed today's episode. We'll talk to you real soon. <laughs>